0: Tail Talk, a podcast dedicated to everything related to the sport we all love, hydroplane racing. I'm your host, David Newton, and it's time once again. So sit back, relax, and welcome to Rooster Tail Talk. It is August 8th, 2023, and this is episode 109. Well, race fans in Seattle, it feels like summer's over, it's a gray drizzly day outside in the mid-60s, and Seafair is over. Uh, yesterday, the Seafair and Gold Cup race is in the books, and growing up in the Pacific Northwest, I always felt that when Seafair ended, so did my summer, because just a few days away, we're going to be going back to school. Um, I guess it's the same for me now, <laughs> as I'm a teacher, and I'm dreading my summer break ending, but not only does it mark the near end for summer, Seafair marked the end of the H1 season. As it was a short season, only four races in the whole series this year. And I think the fans finally got the race that they've been longing for, that they have waited and longed for. Um, as, as almost every heat last weekend was deck-to-deck, thrilling races on the water. I want to talk a little bit more about that. I think the fans probably just... Enjoyed it even more after the first two races, not having a final heat due to weather and timing. And then in Tri-Cities, unfortunately, three of the boats jumped the gun. Uh, There were penalties on the water, which was actually, to be honest, really confusing for all the fans. I think all the fans I was near on the Pasco side had absolutely no idea what was going on in the water. Um, But it was a fun race for the fans in Seattle. I just have to say, going into that final heat, I did not expect J. Michael Kelly to have uh, the boat to win that race. Saw early on he was lane two, in good position, but I really felt that Tate was in a better position uh, in lane three. Tate had the perfect start, the perfect first lap, but as he showed all weekend, that boat was loose. He was handling it. He did a great job of flying it and keeping it under control. As I predicted running to each one last week, That equalizer in Seattle, the rough water, it prevailed. I think if the water was calmer, Tate would have won that thing. But with that rough water, J. Michael Kelly came in clutch, as he always does. When it's it's time, final heat time, he finds a way to win. And he did again yesterday, winning his second Gold Cup, winning his first national championship uh, as a driver, winning Strong's first national championship. Just a great race for that strong team. It was a thrilling final heat. And I know some of us out there online, I saw afterwards and in watching the race, there were some questionable no calls on the water. But I think the H1 probably decided early on, it's the Gold Cup. It's the last race of the year. Drivers are taking their gloves off and they're throwing their punches. And uh, we got a classic on the water. Now, whether, whether which side of, your, of the fence you are on that, are you glad they didn't call make the calls and let them race on the water? I know some fans were. Some fans were a little more disturbed that they let things go. Uh, I know two, four boats actually touched one another. Um, so there were some damaged boats on the water. One boat got washed down. I think it was the beginning of lap two, Home Street, Hadley lane one. And J. Michael Kelly actually came over in front of them and washed him down there. So I don't know. Was it better to to let him run in the water and determine the winner that way? Or should some penalties have been called? I don't know. We did get a great show, but I haven't mentioned the driver's name that uh, I think everyone talked about all weekend, Corey Peabody. I think everyone going into that final heat thought he was going to be the gold cup champion. He was going to be national high point champion. And For whatever reason, it just didn't happen for him in that final heat. He was out lane four at the start, and he was uncharacteristically behind the field. He didn't have a good start. He was well back behind Tate, who had the perfect start, I thought, on the line, and didn't put himself in a good position. He had the boat. Um, He proved it most of the weekend that he could uh, win from most any lane, and he proved himself in Tri-Cities. He won, I think, in several different lanes on the outside. Had a great boat setup, but um, (laughs) as the announcers were calling all weekend, who's going to solve the Peabody puzzle? And J. Michael Kelly solved it in that final heat. But going into that final heat, Corey Peabody had the points advantage for the high points race and was odds-on favorite to win the Gold Cup. Always fun to see an underdog win. I'm glad glad to see that happen in style in Seattle. But if we take a look at the points for the the end of the year, after four races, of course, J. Michael Kelly won. He had a narrow margin of victory over his teammate. He ended the year with 5,284 points. Second place was Corey Peabody in the Beacon Plumbing Boat. With 5,200 points overall. So only 84 points separated first and second place. Hard to recall a final heat end of the year where the points race was decided in such a small margin. Um, always, f- it's fun to see that happen. Uh, again, with that parody in the sport, just good for the sport overall to see it come to the end because there's been so many years in the past where we've seen that, where we've seen the national championship be decided. A race early in the year, or be decided very early in the race, the last race of the year, and it not be as exciting and thrilling as it was this past weekend. Definitely one team that kind of snuck in there. The Flavor Pack actually snuck into third place overall. They finished the year with 4,181 points. Fourth place going to U11. Jamie Nielsen driving the Legend Yacht Transport. 4,146 points. And then fifth place with 4,014 points was the 91 Goodman Real Estate. And another close battle between uh, third and fifth place with only, gosh, less than 100 points. About 150 points separating third and fifth place. So not not very much at all. So that was interesting that that came down at such a close margin from third to fifth place there. Um, in sixth place, unusual for Miss Home Street. They had a down year this year. Finished in sixth overall in high points with 3,684 points. And then from there, the points kind of drop off dramatically as there were some boats that only showed up to a handful of races out of the four. Uh, Graham Trucking, they finished in seventh place with 1,252 points. Next was the Beast Unleashed, Miss Thriftway, uh, only running in Seafair the Gold Cup there at 762 points for that rookie, Gunnar O'Farrell. Next was the U3 Go3 Racing with 670 points and then the 440 Boitano Homes ended up with some points for the year they got 60 points um, total for qualifying in Gunnersville and Seattle um unfortunately Brent Hall didn't get his 15 laps in he only needed he was one short failed short of qualifying as a driver in H1 Unlimited and qualifying for the first time as, as an African-American in the sport uh Only one lap left to go. Um, It's a bummer he couldn't hop in the seat of of another boat, get that lap in there. But fortunately, next year, his 14 laps that he completed this year will carry forward to next year. So he only needs one lap next year, which he could possibly get in spring training and become a qualified driver. So I'm looking forward to seeing that happen in 2024. It was a fun season. A lot of great racing on the water. I'm sad it's over. Um, not sure if 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 you saw Chip Hanner's interview with Paul Sylvie on King Five TV, but in a word, <laughs> he kind of said it, it's kind of sad, right? Unfortunately, San Diego was canceled, don't have that fifth race of the year. It's early August, I think the last time the H1 season ended in Seattle in Seafair was back in 1972 and since then we've had races go past go past seafair and go past august into september and even into october unfortunately this was a short year but let's think about some positives here what were some takeaways from the season you know one probably the biggest positive of the year has to be the live footage that h1 has going for it right now um, they've really t- dedicated their time and efforts into putting a good show online, live, for the fans. And it's, it's 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 really shown itself as a great tool for the sport. And I'm hoping this this can be something that can save the sport because they're getting such awesome shots from the drones. I've talked about that almost every episode, I think, this year and in, into last year as well. Uh, but that team has such great shots with those drones footage. Um, they've been throwing in some old races for the downtime so, to keep the fans alive um, and to and motivated to watch the, the race go on. And I uh, loved that the, this last race, they brought on John Walters, a legend in the sport. Uh, One, the first race is running a turbine hydroplane and just a wealth of knowledge. Uh, because he's set up boats he's worked on boats he's driven boats he knows the insides and outs of those holes yeah you know, of hydroplane racing in general and he was able to give give such great insight to what the drivers were going through but also what the boats were going through and that's something that we haven't had as much in the narrating side of the sport uh, lately and it was uh, great to hear some of those technical aspects of how the motors are performing, uh, what the crews are going to be doing to the props and setups. It was um, really refreshing to hear that in the announcing side. And I'm just hopeful that he can come back next year and do some more announcing or find some other drivers, crew members that can give those insights with the announcing for the races. But all the fans I've talked to just really love what they've done with that live stream, the footage, the drone shots. And it's been a really, I think, a great tool for marketing for the sport. Hopefully that will show next year. Hopefully get some more interest and insight in the sport um, and just help see it grow back to what it, it should be, right? Uh, the second takeaway I got from the season is the parody in the sport. A lot of the heats on the water, you couldn't tell who was going to win, or if you Thought you knew who was going to win. They didn't win, right? There was a heat where I thought uh, on Saturday the flavor pack was had it down, had it, had the, the rest of the field covered. And Jamie Nielsen in the Legend Yacht Transport um, got a perfect start and won the heat. So that's just an example of uh, you don't always know who's going to win in this sport. Uh, going into that final heat, I think everyone threw out the Beacon Electric and, and J. Michael Kelly because we, had, uh, we thought it was a two-boat race. Tate versus Peabody, and G. Michael Kelly found a way to win. So parodies on the sport, out of the 10 teams that entered races this year, I think we had six different drivers win heats. So a lot of parody in the sport, which is something that hasn't always been there, uh, but lately we've seen it happen again and again. So a great positive for the sport. And then my third takeaway I see is just the quality of the drivers. The drivers, week in and week out, have really proven that they earned their seat time. Um, going through the list, Jamie Nielsen just really impressed me over in Tri-Cities and Seattle, making great starts, putting the boat into a position where he could possibly win or take advantage of any other driver's mishaps, which he, he did in Tri-Cities and in Seattle. Uh, great driver there. And if he had just a little bit more speed, we'd see him on the podium, uh, and in, in the winter circle a bit more. Uh, of course, Corey Peabody, we talked about him uh, having a per- perfect weekend over in Tri-Cities, uh, having, I think, three heat wins in Seattle, putting the boat where it needs to be to win. J. Michael Kelly coming in clutch in that final heat, coming away with a victory, was uh, a boat that we didn't think would be in the winter circle on Sunday. Andrew Tate, I can't count how many times <laughs> we saw the underside of that boat in seattle he was flying that he was in control but it didn't look like it because it was on the edge uh, almost every heat almost every lap um but he is another great driver to, that can get the most out of the boat he actually was top qualifier um getting uh his second qualifying run in on saturday morning went over 154 on the two mile race course uh and Really surprised some people that he was able to get the Goodman, that older boat, out of the Madison team, to be top qualifier once again. Dustin Eccles, he can qualify, uh, really fast, and he can he can air it out as well. Like Tate, he I don't know how many times I saw the underside of that boat, but he was able to keep it down uh, and keep it safe for the weekend, and which I'm really glad that team can walk away without uh, major damage to their hull. Got a little bit dinged in the final when, when Peabody slid out into them. But um overall, I'm glad that they came away with the the hole intact. Uh, and then another person, actually, so a couple of rookies turned in some heads. Dylan Runney and Bobby King. Uh Dylan Runny, he's he was able to get lane one multiple times in Tri Cities and Seafair. Uh surprised surprised me that he was able to get in there and steal lane the lane one away from drivers like Tate. And Peabody, Nielsen, and J. Michael Kelly. So, uh, and then Bobby King only coming through two races under his belt in the unlimited ranks. He snuck up there in Peabody, I think that was the second or third heat. He had the inside lane, and on lap two, he was able to make a perfect corner and come even with Peabody and the Beacon Plumbing um, out, of, out of nowhere. So, um, some great driving skills there. And unfortunately, with this short season, only four races, uh, Bobby King only getting to two of those four. If you think back to the late 90s when there was eight or nine races on the circuit, that gave the drivers so much more seat time on the water. And unfortunately, for rookies coming to the sport with four races, it's really hard for them to get enough laps to be 100% comfortable with the whole to learn the new race courses, uh, to learn the different nuances from Tri Cities to Seafair in Seattle, um, from Madison and Gunnersville, it's hard for them to to really learn on the fly and um, you know match wits on the water with those veterans. Uh, not saying that these rookies aren't are, are bad drivers at all; they're phenomenal drivers. But to get more time on the water, have a longer season, have more time for them to get comfortable and to really, um, you know, put their, put their equipment out there. It's hard to expect that from a rookie with such a short season, but Dylan Ronnie and Bobby King really showed um, some great skill. And I'm excited to see them uh, expand on that in years to come and where they can go in the sport. All right. So where do we go from here? Off-season's here. It's early August, so it's going to be a long off-season, and we have a long wait until we see H1 Unlimited back on the water. I'm excited for the next season, what it could bring. But with this long off-season, as in any sport, and anything in life, really, we always want to improve upon ourselves, and I'm hoping that this can be some time for H1 to improve upon themselves because there's so many positives in the sport, as we talked about, with the live stream, the parody, the great driving. Um, the racing on the water. It's a great product on the water right now, but how can we improve on that? Because as an anything in life, like I said, we want to get better. We want to make it better. what can be better for the fans and have a better experience for next season. And I, I don't have any answers. I just have questions and I'm curious as other fans, what would you want to see for next year? I know we don't have much power, but maybe get our voices heard and, there's always so many different corners and avenues that need to be worked on. But what could H1 prioritize for the next year? I see three big things here as uh, race sites, uh, the 80 mile an hour parole, and engagement for fans on the beach. So with race sites, as I said, it was a four race season. And I know H1 has been working on this and trying to get more races on the circuit They've been having a push to get down to Vancouver, Washington, on the other side of the Columbia River, um, down from Tri-Cities, right? Uh, They had their uh, exhibition there last year. So they're trying to get back uh, more races on the circuit. And I've heard rumors about other possible race sites, which are rumors. And I've said again in this show, I don't want to exploit rumors and give false hope um, or even... Uh, gossip about what could be with that, but hopefully that we can get some more races next year. would love to see us get back even into some old circuits like Evansville, as there's a lot of fans there that would love to see the race come back in Detroit thinking about with races right now. We have a three day race product on the field or on the water, maybe to get more races on the circuit. Maybe they need to narrow it down to a two day event or Even a one day event just to get more um, possible race sites out there. So, I'm hoping that next year we could see uh, a return to San Diego to so be at five races and then bump it up to six or seven. Maybe get back to Detroit, hopefully, find another uh, race to add to the circuit. Um, I mentioned the 80 mile an hour rule as because it seems to be a topic every year, right? They've been improving upon it, they have the strobe lights. Um, they're they're getting they have the technology now that when the boats come back, they know precisely when they were below 80 mile an hour or not. But it does cause some controversy and confusion um, if after the race, or if the boat drops below 80 miles an hour, and then a he is assessed after the race. I love seeing the fight for lanes, but I think in Tri Cities, uh, <laughs> when three boats jump the gun, too way too early. Um, couldn't drop below 80 miles an hour Um, and fans are confused and, and don't understand what's going on. Maybe do we talk, maybe should there be talk about changing that or are we happy with what the product is in place? It would be awesome to see the 80 mile an hour rule still be in effect, but have the technology to be instantaneous. So, you know, right away, but that's gotta be a huge cost to get that equipment and get that in place. So at least for now, we know, the truth, h one's been very open and honest about the calls. They've been very clear and transparent with that. They show all the data and all the proof online. But all other fans and other sports and other um, race boats shifted and gone to uh, and shifted and gone to assigned lanes based on qualifying. They keep the starting clock, but they have the boats assigned to lanes. So it kind of throws out that eighty mile an hour rule. So you got a product with all the boats coming up to start, and then it's clear if the boat's over or behind the line and the penalties made within the first lap. Does it need to change or stay the same? I don't know, but I'm sure they're be talking about that this season. And the last thing I have just thought about since being in Tri-Cities and Seafair this year, I did spend some time on the beach watching some of the races. And some of the some of the areas I've gone to have had a PA system, some of them have not. And actually, in fact, most of the areas I've gone to to watch races did not have a PA system. I've been fortunate this past year or past couple years, I, I purchased a radio scanner. And on Facebook, they've posted uh, the H1 officials uh, radio and they've posted other race teams frequencies. So you can hear and listen into the chatter of what's going on in the race course, which is awesome as a fan. Because you can hear what penalties are called right away and you know the order. Um, You know exactly what's happening on the water. Um, But very few fans have radio scanners. And in Tri-Cities on Sunday, I watched on the Pasco side, there was no PA system over there. For the most part, the fans kind of saw who won. You could see them out in the front at the end. But especially in that final heat, fans had no idea what was going on. People were confused and just kind of left. in a a daze, um, because they didn't understand who won. And it makes me think about that casual fan that doesn't really know the rules and the nuances of the sport. They see the boat's going fast. They love the excitement and the thrill of the boats dancing across the water and that close deck-to-deck racing. But how do we teach and explain the sport to casual fans so they can understand what's going on? It makes it hard when there's, you know, different rules that, we don't see on the beach, right? You see, have the N2 violation, the fuel flow, 80-mile-an-hour rule, uh, gun jumpers. What were the penalties being called? How do you make that more uh, – how do you connect the fans to understand what's happening on the water? Again, there's a lot of areas in Seattle that had no PA system as well. And the areas I went to with that, the the fans were very more laid back and just kind of watched the boats run around the water and didn't really know what was happening. So um, they definitely have it set on the live stream. It's easy to tell what's happening when you watch the live stream, but for those fans that go to the race and watch it in person, I don't know how you would connect them to make it more engaging, but also just to get a better understanding for them. Who was, who's doing what on the water, but how do you, how do you connect the fans to the sport more that are in person I don't know. I'm sure there are ways out there and the things that we can talk about this. But, uh, again, long off-season ahead of us. Hopefully a lot of uh, time to spend in growing the sport to be coming uh, back to what it was in the glory days and to be just a better overall product uh, for us race fans. All right, fans, what did you think of the year? Did you enjoy it? What aspects did you like? What was positive for you? Uh, what do you want to share with me? I would love to see your comments on Facebook, Instagram. love to see your posts and, and share with me your thoughts. You can find us on Facebook at RoosterTail Talk and on Instagram as well, at RoosterTailTalk. I would love if you could follow and subscribe on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to check our website out at www.RoosterTailTalk.com. And I'll post updates as we go along this uh, off-season. I'm going to continue my broadcast further into the off-season this year. I won't have an episode next week. But make sure you stay tuned as I'll be returning to the airwaves on the 22nd of August. We'll take one week off. We'll come back. We'll have our next episode. I've got a few interviews lined up. I'm excited to see what I can get on the podcast coming up here for you. But until next time, I hope to see you at the Reasons.